Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. In this episode, Russ White, Yvonne Sharp, and Michael Nackin dig into the art of overcommunication. Well, hello, Tom. You're back on the hedge with us, you and your printer. Yep, there it is. <laughs> there it is. It's, it's there all the time. And there's Yvonne. I don't know. Hello again. <laughs> the, the heavens back. opened and the sunlight came down. Oh, geez. Yvonne joined us. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> we miss you, Yvonne. I I'm know, glad to be believe. here. But I'm glad but, to be here. And today we have back with us uh, Michael. And he is from Glowforge and wrote a really, really cool article on communicating nearly enough. And we all have our web browsers up with the article open. And there's a dog with his, um, with his tail wagging, like with his little face stuck in the couch cushions because he it's wants to be puppy. petted. It's a cute puppy. He is. He wants to be petted like all dogs do. That's, that's what dogs want. Somebody at Glowforge told me I had a strong gift game in my article, so that, that made me feel good. <laughs> it's important. It's important. It really is. So cute dogs, cute cute cats, they sell. You know, that's that's what sells now. Um, so cool. So I guess we just start right off and just say, okay, what are we talking about here, Michael? I mean, what are we? What what is the point of this? What are you trying to get at? What are you trying to? Yeah, this is something that's been brewing on my mind for a long time. You know, I've thought a lot about communication, and I see that there's a couple aspects of this, and we're going to talk a lot about different ways that you can communicate more effectively and what situations to do it in and how it's an important tactic in terms of just making the day-to-day at your work go more smoothly. But it's also a really huge life skill and how it's almost like compounding interest. If you get really good at communicating, I think you'll find your whole career over the course of decades even will be much better. And for those of us in technical fields, um, we often don't put emphasis on skills like communicating. We put emphasis on bits and bytes and how to solve puzzles or things like that. But ultimately, the skill and ability to communicate well permeates everything that we do. In most instances, regardless of how technically brilliant you are, if you can't c- communicate your ideas, you're going to have a limited reach. You're going, you're going to hit a ceiling, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You'll still you'll st- be, uh, I mean, you're, we're kind of jumping ahead, but I totally agree with you. You know, if you only write amazing code or, or only keep great books or if, if you're in the accounting department or whatever it is you do, if that's all you do and you don't help people understand what you do and help them understand when there's problems and work your way through projects, you'll still be doing the same thing a decade later. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of, there's a cartoon that I, that I used to have up on my desk many, many years ago. I had many cartoons up on my desk. But anyway, in this one, there's a, a guy and a girl talking and I don't know what the guy has said, but the girl says back, wait, you want me to develop people skills? That's why I went into computers. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to deal with people, right? <laughs> and I think that's such a common attitude in yeah. our field. <laughs> Hopefully less so, less so than it used to be maybe, but yep, I, there's still some of that out there. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. So 
let's talk through the article a little bit. So you you talk about um, when to over communicate. Let's just talk first, I guess, talk about over communication. What do you mean when you say over communication? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, when I first wrote this article, I showed it to my wife and she said, why are you calling that over communicating? I just call that communicating. And she's absolutely right. You know, sure enough, I mean, over communication is all relative to a baseline, right? So if you're in the habit of not really keeping people updated and only giving them information when they ask you, then this looks like over communication. So I think we should all try to over communicate relative to our own baselines and see if that maybe doesn't make things a whole lot better. You talk about, you know, when you should skip this article. (laughs) <laughs> well, right. I think that's an important thing. And Yvonne and I were talking about this just before we got on the air. You know, there are, there are situations where you really can't over-communicate, right? One of them is if you work in a company that, for example, is just 100% focused on results, doesn't want to hear any so quote-unquote excuses or explanations or anything. They just want the job done with minimal complaint. You know, if you, let's say you're a dishwasher at a restaurant, like all the chef cares about is, are those dishes washed and put back on the shelf, right? They don't want to hear uh, so that, that may not be an environment where this is safe for you. And, and there's also situations where there's power dynamics. You know, I don't want to underestimate the fact that uh, if you are from a, from a background that's maybe underrepresented in your workplace and don't feel safe because of that, uh, or even if you just have a boss who's a total micromanager and will use any information you give to just uh, get more and more in the weeds of your work, those are all situations where this might not be appropriate. Yeah. So I think well, and I have a... Well, I have a personal example here. Like I was, I, I took a, a new job and um, had been in an environment where we were really open and I could, I could go to, you know, specifically my direct manager, but even other people in the organization and, and say things like, this thing is a problem or we have, you know, you want to accomplish this, but this person in the leadership structure is telling people to go exactly the opposite way and we're not going to get where you want to go. Um, mm-hmm. I'd taken a new job and, and before I had understood all the power dynamics and the relationships inside the organization, tried to communicate that way and really it torpedoed my future in that organization because it was a place where that was very top down, very protective. There was lots of shame and blame. And that was really the currency of the organization. Now, the way I ended up looking at that was, well, I found that out early. You know what I'm saying? Like I I figured that out and knew that this was not the place for me and, and found another place to go. Um, But ultimately there are circumstances where communicating openly and truthfully don't bode well for you in that organization. And you, you kind of have to decide, is this where I want to be or is it not where I want to be? But if you decide to stay there, you have to accept the reality that that's just how it is, which is soul crushing in my opinion, but you know, to each his own. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And you know, there might be any number of reasons why you you need to stick that out. Maybe that's the only option you have in your career or, you know, maybe you've got somebody sick at home and this isn't the time to be changing jobs or whatever. But uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You've got you to gotta decide if it's psychologically safe to communicate. And, and the flip side of this, and I think uh, I really want to say this to all the managers out there, you've got to really look at what you do with the communication you get from your employees. And if, you are, if you're taking that information and turning around and making them feel bad, shaming, like you said, shaming and blaming, or, or using that as your own currency to uh, uh, show off for your bot manager or just any number of things that make it unsafe for people to communicate with you, then you're not going to get communication. Yeah. I think the, I think the term you used, Yvonne, was really good before we were talking about this. If, you're, if your over-communication turns into ammunition, right. which somebody's going to use to shoot at you, 
Yep. This is <laughs> this is not the right situation in That's which to be ever communicating. And, and I think this message resonates with me for a little bit because I tend to be much more of a heads down. I don't talk to my manager about what I'm doing most of the time. They have to pull, draw information out of me a lot of times. You know, as much as I blog and other things, I, I really don't tell people a lot about what I'm working on currently until I'm kind of done with it mm-hmm. or until I'm kind of ready to tell them. So I think this really resonates with me that, you know, maybe it's not the best way to be in some cases to actually spend more time telling people what's going on. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, one thing is, like, I don't want to confuse this with the, not everything that you need to over-communicate is necessarily bad news, right? Like, wait, wait, I shouldn't tell people what I ate for breakfast? <laughs> well, you maybe shouldn't do that either. <laughs> you know, if you want to do that on Instagram, knock yourself out. I was going to say, uh, is, this, is this social media? Is that what we're talking about? No, no, I'm really very specifically talking about the workplace. I mean, you may find that you do this stuff and it becomes more natural and it may help you in your personal life too. Uh, I've definitely seen situations like that, but uh, no, we're specifically talking about the workplace, but not all workplace overcommunication needs to be, oh my God, this project is running off the rails and uh, my coworker is driving me crazy. And it doesn't need to be, you know, overcommunication is not the same thing as complaining, right? Like that, that is a thing. And if you, if you've got a problem, you ought to be able to talk to your manager about it. But I'm talking about more just routine, you know, here's how the project is going. We're a little bit behind, but here's our plan to catch up or we're a little behind and boy, we could use some more resources or to change the plan. So I was going to say, how do you differentiate between, between complaining and over-communicating in this case, right? I mean, I know I, know I have my own personal definition, but what do you think? And, you know, I think probably the simplest thing, and this is it really, uh, especially as you get deeper in your career, now, uh, people brand new in the workplace may not know to do this, but just uh, the difference to me is whether it comes with a plan of action. You know, so if I say the project's hopelessly behind, we're screwed, leave it, you know, oh, <laughs> uh, I, and I'm miserable and I'm sick and leave me alone, you know, like that's more just complaining. If you say, hey, the project's behind and we could either cut this feature or if you could find me one more engineer or if we could stretch the schedule out a week, that's communicating. Well, I want to I want to go back to the um, the positive side though. I just had an experience um, in my work in this area just a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't I for some reason I I knew that the work that me and a couple other people were doing was had sort of been sequestered off, um, not because we were trying to hide it, just because we were trying to get the job done. And I went back and thought, oh, you know, I better I better tell the bigger group about this. I think people might find that valuable. And um, the response was great. I mean, lots of people that I didn't even know were interested. Um, you know, I did it over instant messenger, but they you know. They were they were excited about it, and, and everybody was like, "Oh, we won! We won! We didn't even Absolutely. know, you know." And wow. it just had a lot more, create a lot more positive energy than I thought it would. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that, that's absolutely true that people don't communicate about the, the good news nearly enough as well. So, so the reaction was, Tom, that we won. So that, that's pretty cool, actually, um, that, that, would, uh, that that would be the reaction to sharing something that had been kind of sequestered. Uh, a lot of times people, I think one of the dangers with overcommunication might be, or actually one of the dangers of not overcommunicating, if you want to flip it around, is if you don't tell anybody what you're doing, then you could be stepping on somebody else's toes without knowing that you're doing so. And sure. then six months later, you get halfway through the project and you finally decide to tell somebody and everybody jumps on top of you and says, wait, 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 wait. I was already doing that. I, you know, you should let me do that or that's my job or something like that. Well, yep. this actually brings up a great point because the reason it worked really well is because the, the team I'm working on right now has a really healthy, um, 
habit of communication and, and just the, the spirit of teamwork is the best I've had in my career. So it's really like when I, when I said, Hey, we did this cool thing. Everyone's like, Oh, that's awesome. There were, there was no power play. There was none of the, you know, none of the pathological stuff that, that can happen. And so maybe that's an element here for managers. If you create the, the foundation and the ecosystem of communication, then when people come on and say, Hey, I did this cool thing. It's not a bad thing. Like it, it creates, you know, positive energy for you. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see that on a team where, you know, it, I, I think my team at Glowforge does a lot of that, even on Slack every day. There's a lot of just like, hey, look at this cool thing that just happened. I got this feature done or, wow, we, you know, the, this uh, we reduced the downtime or, hey, we're getting less pages or just good, good news is uh, shared frequently. And I think it's a really positive thing. Well, I think one of the important things that you point out at the beginning of your post, Michael, is that um, in the absence of information, our brains will make it up. Yeah. And that we will we will plug those holes of absent information with something, and it, even unintentionally. And depending on people's nature and their tendency, that can be positive or negative. It can, you know, but in the absence of information, people will make up a story, and it will almost invariably be worse or more frantic than the reality and so when you when you over communicate what's going on for example you got to be out for a week or two because you've got some sort of thing going on it is way better and and you don't have to share everything you know you don't have to go into you know or my dog died or you know my parents are in hospice or or anything like that but I'm going to be out of the office for this period of time because I have a thing going on a, a personal thing or a kid thing or however however much you're comfortable sharing with the audience yeah. but it is so much better to share that than to just disappear and and let people wonder for example Absolutely. yeah I see that all the time or you know you see maybe you've got an employee that has been you know <laughs> just kicking ass for years and writing great, you know, writing great code, let's say if they're an engineer uh, and then all of a sudden their productivity slows down and you think that there's, you, you start to, your mind can easily go to, boy, they're just not engaged anymore. They need a new challenge or whatever. And it may turn out that they've got a medical problem or, you know, or like you said, they got a problem with their kids. And if they don't let you know, Hey, I'm not uh, operating at hundred percent right now, but I think things will be better in a couple months. You're like, great. Take all the time you need. I think something I've learned recently, actually, and this is kind of strange because I learn it every couple of years or something, it seems like, and then I forget about it, and I go back and relearn it, is that you can mark things on your calendar as private. So you oh, just sure. put, put whatever you're going to do on your calendar anyway. Yep. And just mark it as private if you don't want anybody to know. And that yep. could be a form of overcommunication that could actually be helpful to people in the workplace to realize that, you know. You're, you're doing whatever else. It might be yeah. personal, but you're, you're out of the office or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's go through. You have this whole section in here about when to over-communicate. Yeah. So let's talk through some of those. Sure. Uh, I think maybe if we just hit on a couple of them, there's, there's a couple that I think are probably among the most important here. One is, is this is just the most common thing I see of all time is you're behind on a project. You don't want to tell anybody. So secret shame. You start working long hours, you try to get it done, you fall further and further behind, and then you end up not telling the the stakeholders, your manager, until it's too late to do anything about it, right? Then what happens? Now now you're hosed, and now you've lost credibility. Uh, Now they're not excited to have you on the next project because, wow, this, this person just totally wrecked the last one. Whereas if they, if you just come in early, you know, as soon as you saw, oh man, we slipped, we, we missed a milestone, go and talk about it, reevaluate, make a new plan. 
everything's fine. Now you've gained credibility. Now your manager thinks, wow, this is a person I can trust. And I think so often, and I made this mistake in a, in a fabulous way early on in my career, <laughs> you, you feel so much responsibility, uh, especially when you are either, uh, either a project manager or you own something or it's your first big thing. And you have a tendency to believe you have to handle it all by yourself. Absolutely. But the reason we have teams and the reason that there's more than one person involved and the reason there are managers is that ultimately most projects unless they are very small cannot be handled by one person and that your role is not to just fix everything but is often either just to escalate at the right time and to bring awareness because we can all run into circumstances which could not be foreseen and which are not somebody's fault but the longer you keep that to yourself the more ownership you have for that failure in the long run and that's a really difficult lesson to learn um i've learned it the hard way probably more than once but but not as much now um and you've got to share those things and and forget about blame and responsibility and figure out you know attack it as if it's a problem to be solved because ultimately that's what it is is a problem to solve collectively that's right i mean i I don't know about you all i mean tom i I imagine you see the same like i hardly know a project of any complexity you know any project that's more than a day or two's worth of work that doesn't have surprises in it right (laughs) yeah Two, two days two weeks or too long (laughs) it's the old coders mantra two hours two days two weeks or too long yeah and i think there are probably you know if there are anybody in the audience listening to this that are in the first couple years of a network engineering career um i think this is really important for you to hear um because what yvonne was saying i experienced that too i think most of us probably do like you're trying to prove yourself you don't want to be the weak link or something um, but every manager I've ever had, even the bad ones, um, I, I, fortunately, I've never worked for someone who was um, so bad that I, could, I couldn't take a problem to them. But even the bad ones, when I said, hey, I, I'm not going to be able to do this. I've got a problem. Can you help? Every single, like even the most mediocre managers in the world can hear that and say, <laughs> oh, okay, well, this is my job. Like, but, the, but it's something that we, you know, we don't want to look weak. We don't want to look like we're behind or not capable. And yeah. um, you know, if you do that, you'll get further ahead, I think, if you just communicate with the people that need it. Yeah. Right, right. And and I think that part of the problem here is that when you get heads down in a project, you tend to treat yourself as almost like as a machine. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that but that's true. And, you know, I'm doing my PhD in this area, so this comes out of my thinking a lot, or it comes out in my thinking a lot about this concept of othering and treating people as manipulable objects. But we tend to self-do that as well a lot. Mm, and so okay. what happens is, is that we get in a state where we're like, we're fingers on keyboard. I'm responsible for coding X or getting this firewall up or getting this network up or whatever it is. And we tend to forget that we also have eyes and ears and that the company's not just paying us to get the work done. They're also paying us for situational awareness. Right. And as full people who can solve problems and see problems that are coming before they impact the company at large. And so we tend to go into this mode where we're like, I'm going to shrink myself down and I'm going to work on this one thing. Yeah. And we don't, you know, there's a, 
There's a line in here that I think is really great. This is some great writing, uh, Michael. For many people, the instinct under stress is to hide and try to dig out of the hole by themselves. This rarely works. And this part, I think, is what appears appeals to the engineer. At least it appeals to the engineer and me. Usually, the hole gets deeper and the options for solving the problems get narrower as time goes by. So for me, when my engineer brain hears that, that the options for solving a problem get narrower, like, oh, okay, that, that, that really clicks for me. Like if you stay in that hole, you're not going to be able to solve the problem. And for an engineer, that is, that is a, you know, that should be a wake up call. Right. That makes sense. It's more of a, just a straightforward kind of process. Like you can just see your options are running out. So soon you deal with it, you know, and, and another variation of that, that I think is really, really important. Uh, I don't know. You guys tell me whether this applies as much in network engineering as it does in uh, uh, software engineering. But uh, a lot of times when you're working on a project in software, Sometimes the end isn't super well-defined. You know, we say, hey, go figure out how to, uh, let's say, develop user-generated content for Glowforge, let's say, uh, or add new features to our app. And we have the general idea, but it's not fully specified, and we have a lot of stakeholders in the company. And if you don't show work in progress along the way, then you go to present the final project, and we're ready to ship it to customers, and the stakeholders take a look at it and go, wow, that's totally not what I expected at all. And, you know, now you're back to square one. And that doesn't happen here very much, but I've certainly seen it happen in other companies. Uh, so now I think if you had showed that work in progress along the way, if every two weeks you said, you know, here's what we built so far. We know it's really incomplete and it's got these bugs, but let me just show you so we make sure we're on the same page. If you do that on a kind of a consistent basis, then you don't have that wasted work, right? And everybody feels much better. And that's really the philosophy behind a lot of what we hear about when we talk about agile development or DevOps, right? Tighter feedback loops. And really all a feedback loop is, is communication, right? It's communicating what we're seeing from the work product back into the process so that we can inform what we're doing and make improvements more quickly. That, that's, that's what a feedback loop is. It's communication. That's right. So don't wait till you ship it to the end user. Show it to all the stakeholders as soon as you can early and off. And, and even backing that into the development process a little bit, rather than what we often do is we will often try to build a nice, clear set of requirements, right? We try to build this really complete set of requirements so we know exactly what we're aiming for. Right. And if you have better communication, then you can back off the requirement side and trust your people and trust the process to do to build what needs to be built and that people will communicate and make it work rather than everybody sitting around going, oh my gosh, you know, um, we, we, we failed here because we didn't have good clear requirements. No, you failed because you didn't have good communication and you didn't have the good iteration to make the product right. That's kind of, that's kind of something that. That's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, I think we all learned a long time ago, waterfall-wise, that was, uh, you just can't plan everything out. And that's why we have agile development. But it isn't agile if you don't show people the work as you go. There, there's a definitely a tendency with infrastructure people, um, specifically with networking people, that, you know, I didn't get good requirements, so I'm not going to be able to do good work. There's sort of those, that sort of assumption I've seen made by myself and by other people too. Um, and then, but I think once you progress and get a, l- a little further along, you realize that the responsibility to gather requirements is not on someone else and gathering requirements is actually just like what we've been saying. It's just communicating with other human beings. It's not a special magical process of gathering requirements. That's right. Absolutely. You know, and then uh, turning to another area, I think uh, an area where, and this is a really an important collaboration between uh, managers and individual contributors or employees, is situations where somebody's been underperforming. 
I think communication is the tool that allows people to turn around, right? So this is actually the case where micromanaging is the right thing. So let's say you're a junior employee, you've come in, we've given you a project, we're giving you a few projects, they're going okay, and then they're starting to not go so well and not as expected. Oh my God, let's turn up the communication to 11 or 12 or 13, right? So now I'm going to ask you to give me daily status. We're going to have a daily check-in, make sure you're doing the right thing. Uh, and I'm going to let you know, you know, this is over communication to the nth degree. I don't expect to do this with you for very long, but I want to make a hundred percent sure we're aligned. And part of it might be misunderstanding on my part. Maybe I don't really understand what's going on in your world. And maybe I'm wrong that this is a performance problem. So help me understand. I want to hear in detail what you've been up to, what's, uh, what's going right, what's going wrong, what's holding you back. How do I unblock you? And we're going to do this every day for two weeks or a month until we understand each other better. And that is incredibly helpful as, as long as it's done in a way that's constructive and, and, and focused on uh, performance improvement and, and work product and not so much, you know, not a personal, oh, you're a bad employee or anything like that. But how do we, how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? And I think in general, um, most people want to do their job well, yep. and they just need the tools to be able to do that. And, yep. and communication is a great way to fix that. And, and I also want to point out that I've uh, been doing some reading by Brene Brown lately, but she oh, talks yeah. a lot about, you know, vulnerability and how vulnerability is required, not just on the part of the employee communicating upward, but also on the manager Absolutely. and that, that there is vulnerability required in giving good feedback and also taking feedback. And so, you know, you kind of have to bring the walls down enough to be able to say, look, this is what I really see. This is what we need and to be honest about it as opposed to being protective and, and, you know, closed down with what's really happening. Um, Cause you, you've got to be honest and, and you highlight that in your post. Well, you're so right. I mean, man, Brene Brown is one of my heroes. Absolutely. And I would say not even, uh, it isn't just that the manager is required to be vulnerable, but I would say the manager should make an effort to go first, right? Like model it, model for your employees what it looks like to be a little vulnerable appropriately vulnerable in the workplace, but vulnerable, you know, and that might be like, let's say I've got a young person that isn't performing as well as I thought they should be. One of the first thing I would say is, you know, we're going to be communicating a lot more and I got to track your status more carefully. So I help you get you on the right page. And, you know, I've been through the same thing when I was early in my career and I didn't understand how to let my manager know what was going on. Uh, you know, I've gotten feedback before when it wasn't going right. And I want to help this. I want to help you with this, you know, just because, you know, I want to pay it forward. This is things I've been through and I want, I 100% believe you can be a success here. So let's talk about how to make that happen. Another thing you talk about in here is being overwhelmed. And I know that as, you know, a network engineer for 30 years, network architect, infrastructure architect, whatever, my titles have changed, doesn't really matter. Um, that is a constant state of reality for everybody who works in networking. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Tom, am I right? <laughs> you know, I just, it's just like, I don't know anybody who works in networking who isn't continuously overwhelmed. So I think this was a very important part of this is trying to understand communication and uh, being just being overwhelmed. Yeah. What have you all found has been helpful when you're in that situation? 
more commonly, I see the, the, the wrong answer, which is I'm so overwhelmed that I just stop talking to everybody and I'll do the work that is most interesting to me or that I feel like is the highest priority. And then the rest of the people just will never hear from me again. I see this commonly from network engineers. Um, and I don't think it's uh, anyone trying to do anything bad. I think it's just a defense mechanism. And, but it, it's, it feels like a pretty natural way to go. Like I don't have time to answer the email. I'll get to them later and then you never do. Or I'll just work harder. Right. And right. at some point that work harder doesn't, doesn't work anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be in the middle of an outage or a major rollout and, you know, you got to pull a couple 60, maybe even a couple 80 hour weeks, but that, that is not sustainable if you have other people in your life who need your time and attention. And so part uh, for me, I have personal metrics um, about time with family. And if I'm gone this many nights a week, or if I've got this many things going on, that triggers a flag in me that says, okay, it's time to back off. And, 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 and nobody else can dictate those personal metrics for you because it depends on who your family is and what stage of life you're in and, and all of that. But I mean, ultimately the, the lists are, you know, some of the most, I think, underutilized tools in the world, make a list of everything, prioritize it, go to your leader with it and go, look, I have this many hours in the day, you know, these things are above the line and I am pretty confident I can get these done. These things are maybes. These are things that there's no way I'm going to be able to get to them. Now, first of all, is my priority list right? Do I need to reshuffle? Um, and that's your manager's job to help you determine what those priorities are. Um, and, and then to figure out what happens with the stuff that is below the line for you. I mean, you cannot solve that problem by yourself. You can put in 40 or 50 good hours a week, do everything you can do, but then you need to go home. Um, but <laughs> because you just can't sustain that. Um, You're going to stop. I, I can't. I'll say it this way. I can't sus- do that and sustain the relationships in my life that are most important. Well, and you'll become unproductive. Honestly, you, you lose productivity over time. It's not apparent, but you spiral yourself into a hole yeah. where you're not you're not being productive so yeah but i think it's so important to bring that you know go back to the whole thing of i'm communicating this with the team you know i'm not the type of person who talks a lot about my personal life with work people or even on social media or whatever it is um but i think it is important to some degree to be able to say you know what i do to show the people that i work with that i do have a personal life that yep. is not part of the company. And I don't need to necessarily give them all the details, but I do have a personal life. I do have hobbies, you know? I Absolutely. do other things in my life. And so I think that's, a, that's an element there as well of, of ever communicating a bit. Absolutely. You, you know, you have as much to give as you have to give. And, and like Yvonne said, sometimes you can put in extra, but that's not a sustainable thing. You know, nobody is going to put in 70-hour weeks every week for months on end and, and not crack under the pressure, right? And nor should they have to. Uh, and I, I think exactly what you said, Yvonne, you know, make a list, try to prioritize it yourself, think about what the options are, go talk to your manager and have a clear, calm conversation and let them know or, or write an email uh, or a document, whatever it takes. But just, you know, give yourself the space to know you're only human, you can do what you can do and, and make sure your manager is on the same page with you in terms of what the priorities are. Well, and sometimes managers, um, they're busy too. And yeah. so they may not realize um, 
the the depth and breadth of your to-do list. They may think that they've handed you a thing that is a half a day task and it turns into a week long task. Absolutely. And if they don't know that, um, you have to help them with that and manage up a little bit and help explain like that. This is how long I think this is going to take. And once you have that conversation, they're like, no, I didn't want you to do all that. Send me a spreadsheet with the information in it. Right. I don't need a 20 page report. And so this, that's the feedback loop that we're talking about. Right. right. And unless you have the conversation, you're going to waste a lot of time doing work that they really didn't even need you to do. That's absolutely right. And I, I think a key thing there, let me just tease that out a little bit. I think one of the key things is make this easy on your manager, right? Like you can, if you have to, if, you've, if you're totally losing it, you just need to go to your manager and say, oh man, I am so buried. I am completely just, I'm totally losing it right now and I got to go home for the day. Uh, I'm freaking out. Then I guess that's what you got to do. But as much as possible, make it easy for your manager and, you know, take your time, make that list, think through the options. It doesn't need to take all day, but take an hour and just figure it out and then go sit down with them and have a calm conversation, make it easy for them to help you reprioritize or, or like you said, make things simpler. So often I see this all the time that we take a project that's, uh, <laughs> I used to play a lot of pool and there was this guy I uh, uh, would play pool with who was kind of an expert. He was a great player and he would see young players making shots much more complicated than they need to be. And I try to make the shot and go around three rails and bang the ball off another ball and, uh, you know, do something amazing. And he'd say, you're, you're turning algebra problems into calculus here, you know? So I think we all do that, right? Look for, look for the easy solution. So often there's something that uh, the 80, 20 rule, you know, you can do 20% of the work and get 80% of the value and, and have a little time to yourself. Yeah, I think that mindset's really bad in engineering because we have that type A personality that I'm going to go solve this. (laughs) (laughs) One degree. (laughs) That's not always what's needed. Yeah. So down at the very bottom, you start talking about um, how to over communicate, which is really, really interesting section as well. Um, This concept of having an impactful email Mm-hmm. Of being fundamentally honest. Let's talk through that a little bit because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I think uh, the the things that we're looking for when you when you write that email or maybe in person, it may be a document, it could be a slide deck, whatever it is. Uh, but the, the things you want to look back on when you're going to communicate uh, is first of all, are you being honest? Did you really make you know? Did you make extremely clear what the situation is? Not didn't you not beat around the bush? Is it relevant? So are you giving the, the right people the right information so they can make the decisions? Is it respectful uh, and of their time and attention? So that means, are, have you done the work to give them the information in a nice, uh, clear, straightforward form that lets them make the decisions? And is it concise? You know, I generally don't need a uh, 17-page essay to tell me that you've got too much on your to-do list. Just uh, you know, a quick list of your JIRA tickets or uh, you know, a quick update that this one bug took three days instead of three hours or whatever it is, is, is plenty. So th- those are kind of four good keywords to think about. Honest, relevant, respectful, concise. If you got those nailed, you've probably got a, a communication that will be uh, help your manager get you right to where you need to be. I love that you said don't bury the lead. I used to have a manager who talked about a, a peer of mine and he's like, he's all data and no analysis. Like he'll give me all the information, but he will never tell me what it means. Right. And so yeah. don't, don't write a 500 word email and then 
make your manager try and decipher what you're trying to say. Right. Right. You know, I'm overwhelmed. These are the things I think I can get to. These right. are the things I think I can't get to. These are the things I know aren't getting done. You know, and, and the simpler, the fewer words, the more concise, the better. But be clear about what, and I see this so often in engineering. We hedge our bets. We say it could be this. It could be that. We don't want to plant our flag in the ground and take a stand. And sometimes you just have to say it or yeah. you, you leave yourself open to be misunderstood. And that doesn't help solve the problem. That's right. And that's kind of an aspect of empathy for your manager, right? On, on a couple levels. One is you could assume your manager probably gets 10 times as much email as you do. So being concise means that they can get through their inbox and understand what it really means and take action on it. And it's also having empathy for, you know, they have responsibilities too, right? Like they're, they're trying to deliver these projects that you're working on. And if they have the information they need in a clear way, they can, they can speak with their leaders or their peers and say, hey, you know, that project you were counting on, it's behind. Or, hey, we had to cut it down. You know, we had to lose this one aspect of it. But if, if you don't have that empathy for them uh, and, and wait till that last minute, then you're right back in, the, in a bad situation for everybody. One more thing I want to make sure we hit on. Okay. We've talked a lot about the the tactics and when to communicate and how to do it day to day, but I really want to make sure people get that this is not just about how to deal with the fact that they're overwhelmed today. This really will change the entire course of your career if you do it right. So in the article, I kind of gave an example of imagine you got two identical twins, right? They got the same job, the same manager, same skills, same personality, but just one difference. One, make sure they keep their manager in the loop, up to date, lets them know when there's problems, lets them know when there's good news. Now, now there's a stretch opportunity that comes along, right? There's an opportunity to lead a new project. Which one of those people is going to get that stretch opportunity, right? Which one do they have that trust in, belief in? Clearly the one that communicates. So they get that next stretch opportunity. They do a great job with it. They communicate along the way. That keeps building and building. The person who didn't communicate is still doing the same job 10 years later. The person that has done the same basic work but is continuing to be a great communicator will have had an opportunity to progress into more and more leadership, more responsibility. Uh, and, and not because, you know, you can listen to that story and think, oh, well, that's dumb. I mean, all that person did is write a few more emails. Or you could realize they're actually doing one of the most valuable skills, and that's why they're getting those opportunities. And it's not... It's not BS. It's not some sort of political ploy. It's not, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes we we like to associate some of those soft skills like communication with, with politicking or, or something mm-hmm. like that. But ultimately, um, human beings make decisions and human beings are relational. And the more you communicate, um, the more you have to build those types of connections inside your organization. And that's super important. Absolutely. I would agree. And I I think there is a big perception that that communication is sometimes just being political or politicking things, but it's really not. You're just communicating. And, uh, you know, I always encourage new people coming on, people email me all the time or PM me on LinkedIn or whatever and say, what can I do to get to reach higher in my career, to be a really good network engineer? I think they're expecting me to say something like, get a degree, get a certification, get this, study this. Go learn BGP. Yeah, something like that. And my answer is, is always, I always say three things. One, learn to communicate. Number two, learn the basic fundamental concepts. Don't just learn how to configure stuff. Learn the basic fundamental concepts. And, and number three, just um, read and learn. 
And those are really the three big things I always say, uh, you know, my, and so if you're going to PM me or whatever and ask me for advice, that's what I'm, I'm going to tell you. That's, that's going to be what I'm going to tell you right there. Michael, anything else before we uh, wrap up? And no, I was just, I was musing on one thing. I was thinking about the fact that, you know, you, you and your shows for network engineers. So communication ought to come very natural. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If we only know, that were true. I was going to say, we know how to th- make things cut, communicate. We don't know how to make people communicate. Yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> and we know how to communicate with boxes, not with people. That's kind of sad, but seems like it's true. Well, Michael, thanks for joining us. Um, and I assume that people can find you on Hacker News from time to time and on the Glowforge blog. Correct? Yeah, the Glowforge blog. If you just search Glowforge blog, you'll find some of my posts are also on Medium as another place. Okay. And Twitter or LinkedIn or anything like that, if people want to get in touch. I'm, that on, I'm on all the above. I haven't been real active on Twitter lately, but I'm going to try to get back into that. And uh, LinkedIn, I'm always active there. And hey, you know, if you're looking for a job as a, a software engineer in the Seattle area, Glowforge is a great little startup and we'd love to talk to you. Okay, cool. So Tom, have you started blogging yet or am I still going to just... <laughs> you know, every time, huh? Every time. Every time. <laughs> I've been holding my post back. I'm going to publish like 15 of them next time you ask that. Okay, that's good. That's good. <laughs> but Tom, you're still on Twitter, right? And on yep. LinkedIn. Yep. And what's your Twitter handle? Oh, Tom Ammon. Sorry. Tom Ammon. Okay. And Yvonne. Yvonne is going to come to, to come to more hedge recordings, I think. I am. I'm also going to try and be at Shinog in May. So if I, you're a network engineer and you're going to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yep, yeah, yep. you can find me on on Twitter at Sharp Network, or I'm on LinkedIn too. Um, Twitter's probably the best place to, to get me these days. Great. So if you come to Shinog, you got, might get to meet Yvonne and I both, because I, I plan to be there. But don't let that discourage you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, so thanks, Michael, for coming on. And um, we'll catch you next time on The Hedge. It's, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.